Uh, so we're going to uh, jump in and just want you to a- ask this question kind of by show of hands. How many of you guys in the last month, and I don't, may not be in, even just curious, how many of you in the last month have had some pointed, maybe heated conversations about the cell phone bill? Anybody? Like data usage, couple? What about in the last three or four months? A little bit more, okay. The, the data, what I hear all the time is like parents going, we ran out of data on the 10th of the month. Like, I don't know how that happened. And, and so the, I hear all the time, the kids' data has been turned off. They're grounded from data because of the expense. I remember back before unlimited texting was kind of the norm of most cell phone contracts, I remember the look on a parent. They looked at me, and they were serious as can be. And they said, we got our fo- cell phone bill, and I need to ask you, because you work with teenagers, how is it possible that we had 17,000 text messages go this month? And I said, well, you'd have to walk a day in the shoes of that teenager to see. But they were like, that that is, in their mind, I think they were like doing the math of that would be like, you know, one text message every 7.9 seconds, you know, something like that. And they're going, this is is crazy. How How did this happen? Well, if you're the cell phone person, if you ever have that kind of tension, you're going, man, what do we do because we're out of date on 10? There's a company out there, and I'm not endorsing them because I've never used them. I've just I've looked at the website, um, but I've never used them. I don't even know how well it works. But it's a website called Wirefly, and what they are attempting to do is let you get on and say, hey, here are my needs. I've got four phones. I need unlimited texting, but I only need 200 minutes because no one in my family talks to each other. Um, <laughs> I need you know, eight megs of, of data, or I need unlimited data. Here's the type of phone I have. And then it, tell, it compares all of the cell providers, cell service providers, and tells you, hey, here's the cheapest for what you, what you need. Now, I, I'm not, like I said, I'm not endorsing, go, don't go change your cell phone contract and get out and go, well, you told us that this would work. I've never used it. It's the principle is there. Compare, contrast, What's going to meet our needs best? Great idea for cell phones. Unfortunately, though, we also do that, I think, in our relationships with people. We look at people and go, okay, what do they have that benefits me? What, 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 what kind of stories are they telling? What does their life look like? If I associate myself with these people, it will benefit me. But if I associate myself with these people, the benefit will not be so high. And we compare and contrast relationships like Wirefly does. Now, if you are more mature, you may not do that. You may go, no, I've kinda, I, I don't really care. I'm about serving others. I don't care what people give to me. But here is here's the reality for all of us. If not now, at some point in your life, and I will guarantee you this is descriptive of a teenager down the hallway. Many times we have or continue to place our value and our worth, how we think about ourselves, based on what we think other people think about us. That was a lot of things. Did you get that? We, we, put the, we determine our own value and worth by what we think other people think about us. We, we, we know that people are comparing and contrasting relationships because at some point in our life, we did that. And so we know, like even as an adult, that, that, that people are making judgment decisions about our own value based on what job we have. I mean, in reality, if you work at McDonald's flipping hamburgers and you are providing for your family, and you are being a spiritual leader, a discipler in your home, 
we should have no other uh, response other than to high-five you and go, man, that is fantastic. You're doing what God's called you to do. You're working hard. You're using your gifts and skills. You're providing for your family. You're leading spiritually. But in the back of our mind, we would go, but he works at McDonald's because we've placed this value system on that of, of McDonald's is not as good of a job as Dell. You know, people at Dell go, well, <laughs> maybe not, you know, uh, or, or this job is not as good as that job. And we have this in our mind, this, this hierarchy. And so we, we, we know that people are making, making judgments about us based on where we work or maybe something like the size of our house. I mean, you've, you might have had this, maybe you have a really big house and you love entertaining because people are going to come in and you love deep down inside that people walk in and go, your house is beautiful. But some of us in the room go, if my small group has a party, we will never invite them to our house because I went to so-and-so's house and if they come to our house, I would be so embarrassed. I'd be so embarrassed because we only have three bedrooms and two baths. And, and it's us and our two kids, and we use all the bedrooms. We don't have any that we need that are extra, and everybody's doing well. We should high-five. Congratulations, you're doing well. You, you, I mean, you may have three bedrooms and eight kids. All your kids have beds and a place to sleep. High-five, you're doing well. You, you're taking care of your kids. But, but we have this idea that people are going to walk into our home. They're going to compare and contrast us to other people, and my worth is going to slide down the scale. That's how we, how we behave a lot of times. If you're a parent of a teenager, which a lot of you are, maybe even child, it doesn't help the fact for when you're talking about your value and your worth that you have teenagers in your home. Because a teenager can make your self-esteem go right into the grave, right? Like when, you, when your teenager says, listen, just drop me off two blocks from school. I understand it's hailing and it's gang infested in this neighborhood, but I'd rather take my chances of being stabbed on the street than to be seen with you in front of the school. And his parents were like, what? What did I do? And they go, Dad, this, this is, you're wearing cargo shorts. I mean, I, you know what I mean? I think my entire drawer of shorts are cargo shorts. And so anytime I wear shorts, like teenagers, they tell me all the time, they're like, you know, cargo, it was said last night, hey, if you're lucky, maybe you'll still have them when they come back around as in fashion again. And I said, listen, every one of these pockets has something in it. So I don't really care what you say. It's in fact, this, this is last night. I said, the shorts I'm wearing tonight are so old that I don't really have cargo shorts because if I put my hands in the front pockets, my hands will go through the pockets because they're not there anymore. So I'm literally using these as the actual pockets. And they just like shake their heads. I brought this. I brought it. I'm not a bad looking shirt, I don't think. I mean, it needs to be iron. Pull that off my closet. Thing. This shirt's older than any kid in this youth ministry. I'm not joking. This spring, I'll have been here 15 years. A youth worker at my last church, so this is pre-15 years ago, gave this to me as a hand-me-down. <laughs> this thing may be 20 years old. I don't even know. And you know what? I don't care. But a teenager does. And, and, and if, I, if my worth is based on what they think, then I'm going to struggle. In fact, I, the joke is during the summer, summer's over now, I've got a pair of orange and white bathing suits. I mean, just go to Facebook. And they'll, they'll be the ones I'm in. And like our, our students hate them because they're like seniors are like, you had those when I was in sixth grade. And I'm like, and they still work. Like <laughs> my, my wife told me that, and this is true, they're white and orange. The bottom half 
is like the white is like faded, like tan. And they're so old. And she's like, we're throwing these away. They're like, they're, they're stained, permanently stained. I said, if you throw them away, then I'm going naked everywhere we go. Because I'm not wearing anything but these. So, you know, just, you do what you got to do. But I said, don't. And she said, I'm just going to buy you some. I said, don't. I'm not going to wear them. Save them. These are the ones. And so now it's become just, I'm, I'd wear it just to irritate the kids down the hallway, really. But, uh, but teenagers can do that. I mean, we, we don't have the fashion they have. We don't listen to the, the music they listen to. My, and it's not just teenagers. I've got a 10-year-old who we were sending to preteen camp this year. She's a little bit nervous about it because she's had some uh, sleeping issues in the past. She's really gotten good with it now, but she was nervous about being gone for three nights. And so Amanda, my wife, said, she said, I'll go. And so I took Emerson with me on a trip, and she goes with Rayleigh to preteen camp. And Emerson, I left the day before. I get a text message from my wife on Monday as they're in the parking lot leaving for preteen camp. She said, we got on the bus. I got on the shuttle. And there was one empty seat on the shuttle, and it was right next to Rayleigh, our daughter, 10-year-old. And Amanda, my wife, walked up to the 10-year-old, and she said, there's no seat. She said, hey, do you want me to you want me sit here, or do you want me to sit someplace else? They haven't left the parking lot yet. And Rayleigh goes, uh, yeah, somewhere else. So Amanda texts me, and she says, I'm rocking the back of the boys' shuttle right now. It's me and, like, all the fourth and fifth grade boys on the way to preteen camp because my daughter, I was not cool enough, she didn't say this, but not cool enough to ride with her on the shuttle in front of her friends. I mean, so... We compare ourselves to people. We compare ourselves, even our, our family puts this comparison mode. And for some of us, even spiritually, we, we start thinking about God, and here's what we know. The Lord knows everything about you. He knows all the things that your spouse doesn't know. He knows all the things that you've thought about. He knows all the things that you've done. He knows all the things that you've thought about doing. He knows all the things that you've said. And, and for some of us, we go, Boy, that's a heavy, heavy thought, and, and I'm, kind of, I'm kind of ashamed of that because God knows, and you know, that there, for some of us, there may be some sin in our life that is, it's been this recurring sin, and we've made promise upon promise upon promise to God, God, I am going to, I'm going to root that out of my life, and I'm going to start living the way you want me to live, and then it comes back, and then it comes back, and it comes back, and, and we have deep inside the back of our brain that, that God loves us. Some of us don't believe that, but maybe if you come to church for a while, you go, I know God loves me, but he doesn't really like me because there's a compare and contrast. God's going, well, there's you, idiot, who keeps saying you're going to stop doing what you're going to do, and the guy that's in your small group, that guy's got it together. Have you seen that guy's kids? Have you seen the way that guy loves his wife? And look at you. What you don't realize is, Satan's having the same whispering conversation with the guy across from you that you think is doing so well. But we've done this compare and contrast, and we build our worth and what we think we, our, our value is based on what we think other people think. And maybe you've grown past that. Maybe you're to the point where you're like, I don't really care what other people think. Man, that's good. Well, you need to lean into the time when it was because down that hallway right now, your teenagers are making decisions and they're saying things and they're dressing in such a way because they found their value to be determined by what they think the people in that small group think about them. The good news is Jesus, and through his word, gives us uh, some answers. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 1. We were there last week, so we are going to kind of review because this will kind of play off of last week a little bit, but... As you go back to Genesis 1, it's important that we go there because we, we've got to know the beginning of the story. If you've ever walked into a movie like 10 minutes late and then tried to catch up the rest of the way, it's just not a good movie experience, right? I mean, you, you don't 
who's that? And I don't know what's going on. Like, I, for some reason, I hate it. I don't, I don't know what it is. Well, I know what it is. It's the large Coke Zero that I get every time I go to the theater. That at some crucial point in the movie, I go, I cannot wait any longer. And I have to come back and go, what happened? What, you know, what, what happened? What did I miss? You know, if we miss the beginning, it, it gets even more difficult. Anybody Walking Dead fans? Anybody watch Walking Dead? Y'all just not raising your hands like nobody has cell phone problems, or am I just really like dying on a vine out here? So one person watches The Walking Dead. Okay, thank you. I don't. Um, <laughs> because it was about season two or season three when everybody started saying, you've got to watch The Walking Dead. You've got to watch it. It's great. And I said, well, it's like in season three. And they're like, yeah, well, just get it on Netflix and watch. I said, well, I, I know this sounds odd because it is the 21st century, but I don't have Netflix because Netflix doesn't show the Dallas Cowboys, which I'll probably get Netflix here real soon. Uh, they don't show college football. They don't show mixed martial arts. They don't show a lot of things. And, and since I'm so backed up, I'm, I'm literally watching TV shows on my DVR that were recorded in January. That is a true story. I, I don't need to pay the extra monthly fee for some other shows that I'm never going to watch because I don't have time. But they were going, you, it's worth it. You've got to do it. I said, I, this, and they said, just start watching it now. I'm like, no. no. I, because from what I hear from people on Facebook, there, there's a person that dies that's important like every two episodes. And in season two, I'm going to have missed so much along the way of who's, who's what and, and what's happening. So I've just passed on that because I missed the beginning. We can't miss the beginning. Last week, we looked at Genesis 1.1. God created the world. He wired it to function a specific way, to function purposefully. And we looked at Genesis 1.27. I'm going to read this to you again, where he, he, he wired man to function a certain way. In verse 27 of chapter 1, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We have the image of God. We are wired in, in a way that is similar to him. We talked about that last week. That is how we connect with him. And we talked about seeing him revealed through creation, not that he is a tree, but that he has given us creation. And the wiring inside of us, the created, or the creator, should pull us into worship to help us love him better. And then in Genesis 1.31, I referenced it last week, but we didn't read it. After God created he said things were good. After he created man, and he looked back at all of his creation with man as the centerpiece. In verse 31, it says this, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Why was it very good? You ever thought about that? Why did the creator look? and go, this is very good. You know why? Because he saw his image in his creation. He saw you and went, man, that is good. I've created them to look a lot like me. And we're gonna have this relationship that is going to be powerful and good. It's going to be very good. And God was thrilled. And so last week we talked about what do we do in response to that? And we looked at Deuteronomy chapter 6 where, where Moses instructed the people to, to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and, and might. And so this morning, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 22 because somewhere along the way, several thousand years later, Jesus is walking on this earth and somebody came to Jesus and asked him the very same question. What, 
what is our response to God? What is the greatest commandment? Uh, If God is who God is, what is the one thing that he wants us to do in response to who he is? And Jesus quotes this verse in Deuteronomy 6 that we looked at last week. So if you missed last week, you're going to get Jesus' spin on it. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Deuteronomy 6, 4. But then Jesus, who is God, adds to this, and he says in verse 38, this is the great and first commandment. And second is like it. And God didn't ask for the two. He asked for the one. And Jesus pointed him to Deuteronomy 6, 4. But Jesus says, you know what? We're going to put this together because these two things go hand in hand. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophet. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, we're good at a lot of things. We're good at judging ourselves. We're good at comparing ourselves to other people. We're good at defending ourselves if somebody accuses us of doing something wrong. But most of us aren't really good at loving ourselves in a biblical way. We're bent to love ourselves in a sinful way. To go, me and mine is the kingdom. To go, well, I'm going to be first. I, I, I want to be the best, and I want to, I'll do whatever I can to push everybody else aside to love myself. But that is not what Jesus is talking about, because if you love yourself in that way, you cannot love other people. If you want to be king on the throne, you've got to have everybody else pushed down and subservient to you. But Jesus says you've got to love people. That, that's the commandment. And then he asks it as yourself. So there's There's a way to love ourselves that is not about me and mine, and it's rooted back in Genesis 131 of how God sees us when he created us. We can love ourselves. We can find value in ourselves, not because we are good, not because we succeeded, not because we became president of the company faster than everybody else. We we don't love ourselves because our kids are performing better than, than their kids. We love ourselves simply because the creator of the universe looked at us and said, you are very good, this is very good, and I love you. We love, John says, because he first loved us. We can love ourselves. You can find value and worth in yourself. You may wear cargo shorts. You may flip hamburgers at McDonald's. Your kids may not, you, you might be sitting there going, man, I wish my kids would let me get within two blocks of the school. They, they, you know, they, they made me drop them off like a half mile from the school. They don't want me anywhere. That may be you, and you may go, you know what? I don't have the nice house. I don't have the nice car. I'm not going to retire when I'm 67. I'm going to probably work all my life. And instead of going, you know what? I am, I am down here because I've compared and contra- contrasted myself with everybody else. We can, we can look at ourselves and go, you know what? Jesus Christ, God of the universe, loves me and accepts me, and he loves me as I already am. You realize that? Jesus doesn't love you because of anything you've done. In fact, if if that were the case, it would be the opposite probably. I mean, of all the times that we've offended God and sinned against him, looked at him and said, hey, yeah, you're creator and I'm creation, but you know what? Forget you, God, I'll do my own thing. Of all of those things, if anything made sense, what would make sense is that God would be angry at us and judge us and go, I want nothing to do with you. But the message of the scripture, this love letter that's written to us, is that God loves you because he sees the image of himself in you 
and he sees great value in you. He said, man, creation is very good. I want to have a relationship with you so much so that when you screwed everything up, I still made a way through Jesus and the cross for you and I to have a love relationship. So here's the, here's the million-dollar question. If God, if God says you have great value, why do we care what anybody else thinks? You, go on, you, you plan it on eternity with your neighbors? Like, man, I can't wait in the neighbor, man. I, I hope when I die, I hope we're hanging out together. Probably not. You're probably like, well, not the way he mows his lawn. I don't want to be, you know. Do you want to spend eternity with the people at, at work that you're trying to, to impress? Hopefully that's not your goal. But our, our, to have an eternity spent with the Creator, fulfilling what we were created to do, worship Him for eternity, should be our, our, our primary goal, our reason for existence. And when God says, you are valuable to me, I love you as you are, we should go, you know what? That's good enough for me. Why don't you look at one more passage of Scripture? 1 John chapter 3. 1 John is all the way to the back. If you're not familiar um, with moving through the Bible, you can use your table of contents, but if you get to the back, you'll get to Revelation, which is the last book. And if you'll just scoot back towards the, the front, kind of page by page, because you'll, you'll move past 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John pretty quick. I want you to see 1 John chapter 3, verse 1 written by somebody who spent intimate time with Jesus. John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us. If you have the NIV, it says that he has lavished on us. See, here's the kind of love that God has given to us, John says, that we should be called children of God. John says, you know, you know how loved you are? Of all the titles that, that God could have given you, servant, Oh, maybe, maybe it'd be cool, prince. Wouldn't be so bad if God said, hey, you're steward, you're, you're in charge of my stuff. Of all the things God could have given you, all the titles, the title that he gave you was child or children. He says that's, that's the kind of love that God has for us, that he calls us his own children. Now let me ask you this question that I can't ask on Wednesday night. Do you love your children based on how they perform. The vast majority of us don't. And I'll tell you this, if you do, you shouldn't. We love our children because they're our children. And God says, John says, how great a love has God given us that he calls you and I children and he loves us as we already are. Doesn't mean that he doesn't want better for us. Doesn't mean he doesn't want us, you know, he obviously wants us out of the trappings of sin. Obviously, he wants you to have this abundant life, but you don't have to get there to earn his love. He loves you as you already are. So what? So what do we do? There's some of you in this room right now, you get that. This, is, this has been review. Hopefully, it's been a good review. Like, yes, I, I needed to hear that one more time this morning. If that's where you are, maybe you, maybe you just need to lean into your kids and go, hey, I need help make sure my kids are hearing that this week as we have some discussions. God loves them for who they are. Maybe your kids need to hear that you love, that you love them for who they are. That you don't care if they fumbled three times at the football game, 
You don't care if they were the cheerleader that kept forgetting all of the cheers. You don't care any of those things because they're your child and you love them for who they are. Maybe that's maybe where you're at. But for some of us in this room, we need, we need to wrestle with the fact that Jesus loves us as we already are because Satan has made a career out of convincing you otherwise. He's convinced you that your worth is worthless, that your value is valueless, and he's done the compare and contrast, and he's been able to point out everything to you where you've failed. And for this morning, it's been something hard for you to even, even put your mind around that God loves you for who you already are. So here's what I want you to do. Give you two kind of applications, two things you can do. One is this. You need to do some, some reading this week and some meditating on some of those passages that are what I'd call the who I am in Christ passages. If you go, I don't know what those are, here's the easiest way to find some. Get on Google and type, who am I in Christ? There's a lot of people that have already done the work for you. They're, they're going to they're gonna give you the verses. They're going to they're gonna point you to some verses that tell you that you're Jesus' friend, John 15, 14. You're going to see some verses you can meditate on that says this, that you are a joint heir with Jesus, sharing in his inheritance, Romans 8, 17. Who am I in Christ? I am the temple of God, and the Spirit of God lives inside me if you're a follower of him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Who am I in Christ? Redeemed, bought back, and forgiven. Colossians 1, 14. Complete. You're complete. Jesus makes you everything that he wants. Colossians 2, 10. Free from condemnation. Romans 8, 1. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. I'm a new creation because I'm in Christ. You need to find some of those verses. Google them. Start meditating on some of them this, this week and start... And start letting the truth of Scripture tell you how Jesus sees you rather than how everyone else is comparing and contrasting you. Here's the second thing that some of us need to do to take it to the next level. Some of you just need that refresher. You just need to read through this, this week or so, sit down with some kids and have some conversations. But here's what some of you need to do. You need to start memorizing some of those passages of Scripture. You got to start making that a part of the way you think because Satan is trying to do the opposite. Several years ago, we went to uh, Oceanside, California on mission trips. We went multiple years. The very first year that we went, um, we painted what we called the Great Wall of Oceanside. It was uh, one of the longest walls I've ever seen. I mean, it was at least a quarter mile long, if not more. And it was about six to seven feet tall stone, and it was all white, but people had tagged it with graffiti. And so our job, the, the, the church asked us, hey, is a goodwill towards the community. They hadn't even planted a church yet, so we're trying to get goodwill inside the community so the church could be planted. We're going to paint that wall. And so we put about 20 kids on that wall all week long. And for a week, we just painted. The guy at Sherwin-Williams and I, we were like besties at the end of the week. I mean, I went get, go back for paint over and over again. I'll wrap a whole white. I'll never forget it. I ordered it that many times. And that was like 10 years ago. Paint, paint, paint. There's a, a junior high right across the way that we actually ended up planting the church in and having building a relationship with that school and we went back to the next three trips and actually served inside the school. But I'll never forget we were out there and these junior high boys come up to the fence as we're painting over all the graffiti, and they start yelling at us, we're just going to tag it again. When you leave, we're going to paint it again. Not trying to yell back, say, well, we'll come back and repaint it white again. Like, I can afford more paint than you can. I didn't say that, but, you know what I mean? <laughs> I got the resource of the kingdom of God. You got nothing. You know, you're 13. So we started painting. And the cool thing was we went back, and it, to this day, last time we went, it was still white. They did not tag it. But here's what happens. Some of us, our heart's been tagged. Our brain's been tagged by Satan. 
And we've got to come in and start whitewashing it with a scripture of truth. And we need to put a coat over it, and we need to put multiple coats over it until, until all we see is truth. All we see is the white paint, not the tagging. And when Satan comes back and he tags it again, we go back with a scripture that we've memorized because it's now become a part of who we are, and we continue to paint over that until there's so much paint on it that, we, that the tagger doesn't come back because we know who we are in Christ. So start Googling some of that, get some of those scriptures, start looking at them, meditating them, memorizing them. And here's the last thing I want to encourage you to do is to love people. I mean, that was the point of what Jesus said. What do we do? Because, because Jesus, because he loved us, we can love others. And that was the answer to the question, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. Seconds like this, love your neighbor as yourself. Let's not forget to love our neighbor as we're working on ourselves. Jesus didn't give specifics what that looks like in this verse. Holy Spirit might say something to you this week. If nothing else, maybe you take some of the things that you're learning about your identity in Christ, and, and you just start encouraging some other people this week to love them well, to let them know how God sees them. Maybe there's a person at work. Maybe there's a child in your home or a neighbor that needs to hear this week that God loves them as they already are. Maybe that's the way you love them as God's taking you through this journey. But most importantly, we've got to figure out what we do with Jesus. I don't know if y'all heard on, on, on Friday, two days ago, there was a lady named Chelsea Russell, 35-year-old woman from Colorado. She and her family were out on Lake Powell. They were on a houseboat going back to dock it, eight miles an hour, not even going fast. And her two-year-old was playing with another child on the houseboat. And what caught Chelsea's attention was when she heard somebody on the houseboat scream, heard a splash, and realized that her two-year-old had fallen overboard. This happened two days ago, I believe. And as the boat was still moving, she dove into the water after her son. And I don't know all the details. I think they're coming out. Somebody else jumped in, and then the boat got too far away, and they tried to get a motorboat that was hooked to it, and they couldn't get... Uh, the rope off, they had to cut it. By the time they got to her, it had been like five to eight minutes, something like that. And she had taken that baby, two-year-old, and held the baby above water so the baby could survive. As they pulled the baby onto the boat, the baby was fine. As they pulled the mom out, they had to get uh, people doing CPR and things like that, and she didn't make it. This mother dove in the water, sacrificed her life for a child. That's heroic. And in reality, probably something every one of you would have done if your two-year-old went over without hesitating because you love your child because they're yours. And the message of Scripture, the message of the gospel is that when you went overboard, when sin knocked you off of the boat and you were going to die in your sin, God went after you. Jesus went to the cross and lifted you up and gave his life for yours. We need to know how Jesus sees us. We need to memorize that scripture and let it paint our minds so that we, we believe truth. We need to love people. But let me say this to you. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, if you've never moved from talking about the Bible and churchgoer 
into the kingdom, having said at some point in your life, Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. I cannot save myself. And it's you and you alone who are salvation. If you've never had a moment where you cried out to God and asked him for forgiveness and asked him to come into your life and save you, today's that day. It's difficult to lead your teenager spiritually if you're not growing spiritually. And you're not growing spiritually if you've never come to this moment in your life where God has changed you and redeemed you. And you've been what we talked about in 2 Corinthians briefly, become that new creation. So we're gonna have some time to talk today in small groups. But before we do, I wanna give you an opportunity if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus to do that. And so we're gonna do that. I'm gonna pray with us uh, just as I do our normal closing as you go to your small group. But I want you to hear, hear me say this. For you to stand up in front of some people or you to come to me later and say, hey, man, I made some decisions to start following Jesus. I'd never done that. And I need to be baptized now. Um, I need to go public with my faith. I can tell you what's going to happen. Satan is going to lean in and go, everybody's going to laugh at you. Everybody's going to judge you. Everybody in your small group already thought you were a Christian. Hey, dummy, your kids are 15. You've been taken to church. Now you're going to decide to tell them that you're a follower of Jesus today, 15 years later? You know what that is? Beginning to fear the compare and contrast of what other people would think. Exactly what we started talking about this morning. Be brave, be happy, be joyful that you can stand up and say, hey, I understand more now than I did before and I've decided to follow Jesus. Let me pray for us. If you wanna make that decision today, I wanna ask you to pray this prayer with me. It's not magical. It's not coming out of scripture, just the principles are. But I just want you to say in your heart to Jesus, I want you to say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Say, Jesus, I've made mistakes. Say, Jesus, I believe that you are God. And I believe that you died on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven. Say, Jesus, I know you paid the penalty for my sin. And say, Jesus, come live in my life. Change me. If you pray that prayer, the next step is to go public. Tell the person leading your small group, tell me, have the person leading your small group, tell us so we can start talking about those next steps of growth. You're here already, so that's one of them. Congrats. Let me close this. Father, our teenagers need to hear that you love them as they already are. And Lord, may we love our children as they already are. God, help us not get caught up into the comparison trap holding our kids up to someone else's kids when we don't even know all the things that they're going through. God, help us to love our children as you love us. God, purify our minds. We don't believe the lies of the devil, but we believe your truth about who you say we are, that we're your children. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.